0: Who says the Bible has to be boring? On the contrary, the Bible is the most thrilling book in the world. It's the only book with an invitation to join the very narrative you are reading. My goal is to be like your time traveling tour guide, taking you into an exploration of Scripture in search of precious treasure, timeless, life giving truths that inform us of who God is, who we are. And how the story of everything really is his story. I invite you to join me as we learn to read the story, trust the story, and live the story. Because there's no greater adventure than knowing the God of the Bible. I'm Brayden Brookshire, and this is Adventures in Theology. And we are ready to go. I have my tea. I'm drinking chai today. And, yes, it is very yummy. Might have to sip on that a little bit. Now, as we get into the text for today, something to be thinking about, uh, and I'm sure everyone can relate to this, you know, have you ever done the right thing for the wrong reasons? And now I'm sure a million examples can come to your mind. And keep that in mind because that is one of the questions that will help prime our minds on what is going on in this text of Matthew chapter 6. So we continue on in the Sermon on the Mount. No recap today because if you need a recap, just listen to previous episodes, obviously. All right, Matthew 6. Let's start in verse 1 and we will be making our way through here. Some good stuff to cover. So uh, Jesus continues with the sermon, and it says in chapter 6, verse 1, Jesus saying, Be careful. (laughs) Let's stop there, because when someone says be careful or beware or whatever your translation says, better listen up, Uh, better pay attention. So be careful not to practice your righteousness in front of others to be seen by them. Otherwise, and this is the key, you have no reward with your father in heaven. Now, that's verse 1. Let's do some quick disclaimers here. Uh, of course, he's saying, uh, beware of practicing your righteousness in front in front of others to be seen by them. This is not saying to not practice righteousness. I don't know. Some Christian circles do a weird job where they act like our righteousness are just like, you know, they quote the Isaiah verse. It's just like filthy rags before the Lord. Like, it doesn't matter. Like, no, well, uh, bad verse out of context. Like, uh, you know, God does want us to live righteous lives and it pleases him and in light of our right relationship with him we should be righteous and practice righteousness it should be actions that come from us Uh, so it's the 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 warning here is to not saying to not practice righteousness we should practice righteousness it's to be wary of our motivation why we practice righteousness and more specifically who we do it for who do you do it for And this is the subject of today's passage, because it's really about practicing our righteousness publicly versus privately. And, you know, not always that it turns out that way, but more of this, like, heart of privacy in how we do this. And we'll flesh that out. But the heart of the question really is this. Who do you do it for? And as Jesus will teach, your audience will reward you. So whether your audience is people or God, the audience you perform for will reward you. Now, there are three types of righteous piety that were characteristic of the whole in Judaism, and Jesus is about to draw on those, and that is almsgiving, aka giving to the poor, prayer, and fasting. These three things were not exhaustive, of course, of righteous behaviors, but they were representative of one's righteousness. They weren't necessarily even above and beyond. These were, like, the, the go-to, like, Elementary, hey, if you practice righteousness, you practice alms, giving, prayer, and fasting. Yummy tea. Okay, so when he's using these examples and drawing from them, he's really just showcasing kind of like the basics. And these are representative of many more examples. So for any example given in this text, uh, which he's making the same point through all three of them, the point applies obviously to much more. So let's keep reading in verses 2 through 4. It's said, Jesus says, so whenever you give to the poor, don't sound a trumpet before you as the hypocrites do in the synagogues and on the streets to be applauded by the people. Truly, I tell you, they have their reward. But when you give to the poor, don't let your left hand know what your right hand is doing so that your giving may be in secret and your father who sees you in secret will reward you. Now, in a society where welfare did not exist like it did, didn't in the roman world i mean you know when we have like poor in uh, america for example like there are a lot of government welfare problems uh or problems solutions and so basically the government has welfare as built into it where that didn't exist in the ancient world and so in a society where welfare did not exist taking care of the poor was left up to the religious people um those who practice their righteousness roman society had no sympathy for the poor, but the Hebrew Bible places great emphasis on it. That's why Jesus does not even have to convince his audience about this. He doesn't say if he says when. And so there's an assumption that practicing righteousness will include, though not limited to, these things. But what's going on here? I, I love the word play, you know, all this, like, sounding the trumpets, the applause, and the, the hypocrite. All this language, these are word plays here. That, it's like Jesus' way of comparing the Pharisees to those in the theater. First of all, the word hypocrite in the Greek is to say that the true judgment or value or criteria of something is underneath. It's underneath, but underneath what? Underneath the mask. It's theater, language, and imagery. Hypocrites are those who put on a mask and make a shrade out of what they they do. There's a disconnect between their public and private life, and their actions are disconnected from their heart. And we all act with hypocrisy at times, but hopefully we are not hypocrites. And so, you know, going back to... So for a hypocrite, someone can act like a lawyer or a soldier or an aristocrat on stage, but once the curtain closes... They are who they are when they are no longer playing the part in front of everyone. And Jesus' point is that the appearance of righteousness and the authenticity of righteousness are not synonymous. Do you get that? The appearance of righteousness, righteousness and the authenticity of righteousness are not synonymous. One can act righteously, like an actor in a play, without being righteous. And part of this grand invitation in the Sermon on the Mount is invitation into wholeness. Again, I invite you to see Matthew 5 verse 48 and really listen to the episode on that one because the translation, be perfect as your heavenly father is perfect, is kind of misleading and missing the point. Be whole as your heavenly father is whole. And so uh, Jesus is inviting that us to that so that this life of wholeness in human flourishing involves, no doubt, a life of where authentic righteousness not just the charade of it, not just playing the part, but one that actually stems from who we are. You know, and unfortunately some people, and I, you know, Jesus of course calling out the Pharisees here a little bit and such. Some people have made the world their stage. And their good deeds are simply a means to boost their own platform. And the charade just never ends. There's the mask. You know, a lot of us, we hide a mask on how we portray ourselves on social media. Or however it looks. But if it's not the real thing, what's the point? I mean, and and so with this theater, like Jesus is saying, like, these are the people who, uh, you know, they're sounding a trumpet before they even do something good. Like uh, this is, again, like (laughs) before a play would start, you would sound the trumpet to kind of announce like, oh, the play is about to get started. So basically these people are saying like, when they're about to do something good, they gather everyone's attention. Like, hey, everyone look at me. See that poor person. I'm going to go help them. Like And I hate to say this, guys, but I feel like sometimes um, social media is used as a means just to boost how good we look. And now here's the thing. I am not giving any hard and fast rules as to how you use your social media or what you talk about on there. Like, I was sharing this with someone the other day. Like, if, if you are ever Um, talking about what God is doing in your life or even sharing something awesome that either you did for someone else or that your church has done for others or something. Like I am never, ever, ever going to judge it or judge the motive behind it. Like I, first of all, I can't. I mean, (laughs) I can't judge your motive and you can't judge mine. I really can't see. You might have a mask on and be a hypocrite, have the mask on and the value underneath. I just can't see it, but it's not my place to judge that. And likewise, and so, you know, this is not a passage of Jesus saying, all right, let me show you how to point the finger at other people. Like, hey, that's a talk for another time. But this is an introspective passage. Like, hey, I, for you, how I want you to practice your righteousness is the real thing, the authentic thing, not the straight, not putting on a mask, not, not sounding a trumpet and drawing attention to yourself and glorifying yourself and not glorifying God. That's what he's getting at here with all this. Is the motivation behind it and the uh, the why you do it and who you do it for, because your audience will reward you. More to say on that in a second. And so if, if they're sounding the trumpet, you know, announcing that the, the show is about to begin and then they do their good act and then they take their bow and the audience applauds them, like they'll have no reward. That that is their reward. That is it. And you know this um Jesus really looks at this and he challenges it, of course. And, you know, like, obviously Jesus is coming against this. But he do, does so with an invitation to do something else instead. You know instead, of, you know, instead of doing it that way, he says, how about this? But when you give to the poor, so when, not if, don't let your left hand know what your right hand is doing so that your giving may be in secret and your father who sees you in secret will reward you. A few things to talk about here, really important things. So again, whoever you make your audience, you will receive your reward from. And John 12, 43 makes a very poignant point about the Pharisees. And it says this, For they, that is the Pharisees, loved human praise more than praise from God. I guess my question is, why are we seeking, you know, a reward or affirmation from people when that's just cheap, fragile, and you have to constantly impress them again and again, when your heavenly father takes great delight in us if we would just authentically live to only please him. If, if God, and this is true, if, if God's affirmation is the only one that matters, and it is, and he's the only audience that really matters, why do we work so hard at pleasing everyone else? Making it a show to where we know and no one else could judge our character and only God can judge me and all that stuff but like you know the truth. You know when you get home and you take off the mask and you worked so hard all day just to be seen by other people. To feel seen. To be applauded. But all along you missed out on the opportunity just to be seen by God. And that's... That's what it says here. You know, I love that in verse four. And your father who sees you, your father who sees you in secret will reward you. You see, we we miss out on the reward of being seen and affirmed by our father when we're looking for that kind of affirmation in all the wrong places. See, of course, uh, this this passage assumes that someone is practicing righteousness, so that's a good thing, but it's talking about the disconnect where it's doing it for showmanship versus out of this authentic heart of righteousness, and it's also doing it for the wrong audience, and so doing it with the motivation to be applauded by people versus to be affirmed by God. The only person who can who can actually affirm us in a way that is meaningful and long-lasting is God, and so he needs to be our audience in this. Now, um, it's kind of like, would you still do that good act even if you couldn't post it on Instagram? Would you still spend time in the Word and, you know, with your coffee and your Bible in the morning if you couldn't post a picture of it on Instagram? I'm not coming down harsh on that either because, trust me, I I personally... I take great delight in when I see those pictures, when I see people I know who are posting pictures with coffee and the Bible and their journal out and taking notes. And, you know, I assume the best of people when they are posting those things. So I'm really not coming against anyone when they do that. I'm just saying as an introspective question for myself and maybe for you too, would I still be doing this if there was no public praise from it? If I couldn't post about it, if I couldn't tell others about it? If I if I help this person, will anyone get to know? And that that's where the heart issue is here. Everything in the Sermon on the Mount is about shaping our convictions and showcasing the heart issue. If we're thinking, oh my gosh, like I I, I want to do this great thing for someone, but is there going to be anything in it for me? Am I going to be? Are people going to reward me for this? Misses the point that your father sees you. And your father who sees you in secret will reward you. Do you trust that? Do you trust that your father sees you? And do you trust that your father will reward you? And I, I'm not talking about cheap rewards, you know, like. <laughs> C.S. Lewis used to talk about how there's two different kinds of rewards, extrinsic and intrinsic rewards. Extrinsic rewards are the rewards that have kind of like nothing to do with the act itself. And kind of just an example, like if you uh, bought a raffle ticket and you happen to be drawn and you won the raffle prize of a new car or a pair of socks or whatever. And like the, that the reward is extrinsic, has really nothing to do with the act. I mean, yeah, you had to buy a raffle ticket, but like, as there's a, like a big disconnect. The reward is superfluous. It could have been anything from a pair of socks to a new car. It had nothing to do with the act. Versus intrinsic rewards are organically connected to the act. For example, the reward of practicing your form with golf means that you are likely to perform better and enjoy your time on the golf course. Likely to be able to maybe compete at a higher level. the The reward is interconnected to the work itself. And I ask you, which is better fitting here, some kind of extrinsic, dare I say, superfluous reward, or is it something intrinsic? And I believe the rewards are intrinsic, and I believe that's everywhere in the New Testament. Anytime a reward is spoken of, it's never comparative you know, versus like getting more of a reward than someone else. It's not like that. It's it's more of just like, hey, like, are you missing out on the reward that's organically connected to the work? Are you missing out on the reward that's there for you? Are you missing out on being seen and rewarded by your Father? And I, I really think that this reward is like this affirmation of being seen and known and affirmed and delighted in by God the Father. And like, because when we act righteously and we we live righteous, we are reflecting the character of the father and he takes delight in that. And when we get to experience that, we experience a little bit of what it's like to live with his heart out of his chest in this world, acting it like towards someone else. And you know, sometimes when we do those things, when we do righteous things, helping someone else, doing something good, million examples we could think of here. When we do those things, I've talked to many people, and there's there's usually a joy or a peace associated with it. And some people, unfortunately, feel guilty about that. Like, man, I love serving, and it just, like, it really produces so much joy in me. But I know that's my pride welling up, like, oh, I shouldn't be feeling this way, because then it's just making it about me. And it's like, for me, I'm just like, wait, what? You're feeling wait a second, that sounds more like the devil than like God the Father. That sounds like the devil to rob you of the joy that's connected to serving and practicing your righteousness in an authentic manner. When you're practicing your righteousness in an authentic manner, doing good, um, seeking justice, loving mercy, and walking humbly with the Lord your God, like, and being a light for others, like there is going to be, God will, in fact, connect that to the experience of joy and peace in your life. You know, it's amazing to me how many people want God's joy and peace in their life. They want the joy of Jesus, but they don't want the mantle of Jesus. They want His joy, but they don't want to go do what He is doing and spend time where He's at and located. And so, yeah. So intrinsic rewards are the rewards that are organically connected to the work. I even would call these um relational dividends if you will relational dividends the because these are acts of righteousness done with the right motive which lead to a reward from the father these good deeds don't get you into relationship with god the reason why you do these things is because you have a relationship with god that's like the presumption of this passage like you're practicing your righteousness because you have a relationship so do it with the right motive don't do it for the wrong audience like don't fall into that trap I don't think he's like being condemning towards someone who is acting hypocritically here. I think there are times that Jesus does come very harshly down on religious hypocrites. But I think here it's like, wait, wait, it's more of like the correction of the heart. Like, hey, like, you know what? You're doing all these things to be seen, but like God sees you. So let me invite you to like do it for the right audience. So that way you can actually know what it's like to feel seen by God. The only one who feeling seen by matters. So these relational dividends, it doesn't get you into relationship with God. You already have one. They're relational dividends that enhance the relationship. Think of the times when good acts or doing awesome things for people draw you closer to that loved one. Those aren't to earn their favor, but a means of enjoying them and showing appreciation. Simple example for your spouse. If it's been a long day and there's a large pile of dishes stacked up and you say, you know what, I'm, I'm going to go do the dishes. I know neither of us want to, but I'm going to go do the dishes. That's a relational dividend. It wasn't like, if you didn't do the dishes, you're going to get a divorce. I sure hope not. That's terrible. But like, I'm sure there's an appreciation in when your spouse says, thank you. Like, that was so kind. And the joy that comes from like, doing that and sharing that in one another, like the, the sacrifice and the selflessness and all that, like that wells up from that. That's the experience of it. That's a relational dividend. I would call that. And so... You know, some might label that a reward, and I just think that needs to be qualified. I think these are relational dividends. And so, like I already said, why seek from people only God can give? The reward of affirmation and all of that. From people, that's cheap. From God, it's real. One of the best things I love about this passage and this concept is that you can't actually get away with it. Like I said, I mean, you can fool me with the mask, I can fool you with the mask, but... The true value of what's underneath is bears naked before God. He knows. And so we can fool each other, but you can't fool God. He is the one who truly sees. And so I, I, don't, I don't want to read this passage as a way to start trying to pick apart who is being a hypocrite and who's not. It's not my place. Whenever I see you talking about what God is doing or what, you know, any good that you've done, I'm assuming it's coming from the right place. And so let's keep going on this passage. Same type of idea in verses five and six. Let's read it. But now about prayer. Whenever you pray, you must not be like the hypocrites because they love to pray standing in the synagogues and on the street corners to be seen by people. Truly, I tell you, they have their reward. But when you pray, go into your private room, shut your door and pray to your father who is in secret. And your father who sees you in secret will reward you. Do you get the point? Jesus is simply just applying the same thing to a different example, instead from giving to prayer. Saying, hey, you know what, don't... It, there's a big difference between being seen praying and praying to be seen. Let me say that again. There's a difference between praying, being seen praying, and praying to be seen. And that's what he's saying here. In fact, when I think sometimes when we're trying to impress others with how we pray, um, and some people just do pray with high and lofty language. So, you know, I'm not... On that. Sometimes I come across that way, I'm sure. But like, it, there's a big difference between that and Jesus is inviting us to shut the door, to get alone with God. And I, I love this because when you get alone with God, it's authentic. There's no one to impress. You can't, there's no crowd there to witness this. And so, what you say or don't say, or how you spend that time, or whatever, just like, it, it's real. Because he's the only one that's there. I think it's one of the most important disciplines, or I dare I say, one of the most important delights, uh, spiritual delights, which is a spiritual discipline, that Christians should participate in is getting alone with God. And this verse says that when you pray, you know, and prayer is more than just giving God your laundry list of things that you want. Communion with time, keeping happy, happy company with God. As some of the ancients used to say, get alone with him. And when you get alone with him, there's there's kind of like this organic reward again, intrinsic reward connected with that. Your father, who sees you in secret, will reward you. And what better reward than some versus something superfluous? What better reward than just getting alone with God for the reward of getting God? Getting away from the distractions, getting away from self, and just delighting in Him, Him delighting in you, and receiving that being affirmed by him. We could skip down to verse 16 because um, we're going to cover verses 7 through 15 in next week's episode. So yeah, I'm doing something unusual. I'm skipping down ahead, but this is about fasting and it covers the same thing. So let me read it. Whenever you fast, don't be gloomy like the hypocrites for they disfigure their faces so that their fasting is obvious to people. Truly, I tell you, they have their reward. But when you fast, put oil on your head and wash your face so that your fasting isn't obvious to others, but to your Father who is in secret. And your Father who sees you in secret will will, will reward you. There's this constant theme in this passage about uh, doing something publicly to be seen by others and doing something privately to be seen in secret. There's something about the secret place. There's something about doing something with no other joy than just to be seen by God. And that honestly is a little bit mysterious. That is hard to explain that uh, you have to kind of just do it yourself and try it yourself. Because uh, I think when we do, those who have of us who sometimes are maybe living under this perpetual mask or under in a season of life where we're living under a mask, it's going to, the mask will shatter and fall apart when we take Jesus up on this. Now I want to put all this together here for us today, and there's some really crucial thoughts here. So if you've been kind of tuned out, but still listening in, like hone back in with me for a second, because I think there's some key things as we like put all these things, this passage together. Okay. So first of all, I think there's a tension here because if you remember back in Matthew 5, 16, it said something quite perplexing and sounds even contradictory at a surface level glance. Remember it says, let your light shine before all men so that they may see your good deeds and glorify your father in heaven. So wait a second. We have just talked about how Jesus is saying, well, when you're gonna go give to the poor, for example, don't sound the trumpet. Don't gather everyone's attention to do it. But earlier in the Sermon on the Mountain, Matthew 5:16 says, let your light shine before all men so that they may see your good deeds and glorify your father in heaven. Now, just off reading those two, I hope you can already see the difference, though, the difference of sounding the trumpet to glorify yourself versus letting your good deeds be seen to glorify God. But I think there's a key uh, metaphor or, or analogy or whatever, or picture that can help explain the difference here. Because how do you live in this tension of, you know, I, gosh, I, I want to live with the right motive and please the right audience, but how do I know when I am doing it for myself, or if I'm doing it for God, if I'm letting my light shine, or if I'm doing this to sound the trumpet to be seen and to be look good, like how how do I know the difference? Let me give you a picture. Imagine a light is constantly turned on in a room. So maybe look around, maybe you're in your house or something, picture a room in your house, and imagine the light turned on, and imagine that that light never, ever, 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 ever turns off. That light is always on. Now think about that. If that light is always on, then there are times that people come into the room and see that light. And there's times that that light is still shining even when no one is in the room. What I'm getting at here is we can be a light. It's kind of like a light being lit in a room regardless if people are in it or not. Be a light that stays lit, that stays shining. Have your light shine before God privately and hey, if people happen to be watching before people and let them see your good deeds and glorify your father, never not glorify you, glorify your father in heaven. Be like a room, light a light in the room that is always turned on and that is shining regardless if there's any crowd in the room or not. If there's one person, two people, 10 people or no people. Is your light still shining with the same fervor and authenticity if no one is in the room but God alone? That's the point of how we reconcile this tension in the Sermon on the Mount. It's not overthinking it. It's not, you know, you know your heart better than anyone can perceive and make a judgment call on it. Let your light be turned on and shining whether there's no one in the room or happens to be people in the room. Don't dim your light when people are in the room. Don't, don't say, oh my gosh, there's other people in the room. I better dim my light. I better not do good things. No, that's missing the point too. Let your light shine before men so that they see your good deeds and glorify your father in heaven. But when your light is shining, don't blow a trumpet and glo- you know, gloat and show attention about it. Like Your light is only a reflection of God's character who's the true light. And so <laughs> let it shine, regardless if there's anyone in the room. I really wanted to beat that into here because I think that's probably the most important analogy for today. Um, and, and another thing I've talked about with people before and I've heard people struggling with is like, you know, how, how, how do I then, if I'm not supposed to like blow a trumpet and receive all this affirmation from people, how do I receive affirmation from people when they do recognize me using one of my spiritual gifts or when they recognize me doing something good? Like, how do I let that be God-glorifying instead of just me. Do I just divert the attention? Do I say, like, it's all God, or like, well, well, there's no, like, Christian jargon that really solves the case, but I can give you uh, what I think is helpful, and someone taught this to me, and so I'm gonna, well, maybe teach it to you. Every time someone sees you living Christ-like, using a gift, spiritual gift, blessing others, and they acknowledge that and they appreciate that and they affirm that and they compliment that and they come up to you and say hey I see you that's that's awesome what you did or hey I see you great job or hey I see you that's like them giving you a flower don't reject the flower don't reject the flower receive the flower with gratitude and then you know maybe later in the day something else happens hey I see you great job I see you receive the flower thank you And maybe that happens a few more times throughout the day. At the end of the day, you now have a bouquet of flowers. And you get to give that back to God. Not in this like, you know, disappointed attitude, but in this beautiful act of saying, Father, everything I am is because of your heart pumping in me because I'm just a reflection of your goodness and character. All these flowers I received today are now made this bouquet and I just give it to you. That's the heart. God takes delight in. Now as we wrap this up for today, um you know, if I had to put a summary statement on you know, what are we looking at in Matthew 6 in these first few verses with Jesus talking about the motivation of why and who we're doing this for and giving through the examples of almsgiving, which is giving to the poor, prayer and fasting. Well, I would say that live as if God's affirmation is the only one that counts. And know that God's, God will affirm those who seek to please him. And so you can sum it up with verses one through four are give, but not to boast. Verses five through eight are pray, but not to impress. And verses 16 through 18 are fast, but not for show. So give, yes, give, do good things, but not to boast. Pray, yes, absolutely, but not to impress. And fast, but not for show. So my friends... I challenge you to, yes, do practice your righteousness, but be careful how you do so. Be careful how you do so because there's a temptation to want to do things to be seen and affirmed by people. But I challenge you to do everything to the glory of God and to only do it as if he's the only audience, he's the only one in the room. I challenge you to have your light shine constantly and perpetually, whether there's 10 people in the room, two people in the room, or zero people in the room. Whether there's an audience or not, there's always an audience when there's God. And he's the one that sees you. And when he sees you, what else really matters? If he sees you. So my friends, thank you for listening in. I hope you have a wonderful week and we will see you next time on adventures and theology.